Hello and welcome to another episode of Bikini Things. Today's episode is going to be a good one. I've got the queen of the bikini podcast herself, Celeste Reigns Turk, joining me for an episode. If you don't know Celeste, she is the host of the Confessions of a Bikini Pro podcast and she has a BA in psychology and also a master's in clinical mental health and she works with competitors and just individuals wanting to live a fit, healthy lifestyle, but also have a positive, healthy relationship with food and their bodies. Stay tuned. Okay, so first of all, Celeste, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It's so great to be on your show after you freaking killed it on mine. Thank you so much. I got I got a lot of a lot of uh, positive feedback for that episode. I had so much fun recording with you. Good, me too. So you're the you're the host. For those that don't know, maybe um, you're the host of Confessions of a Bikini Pro podcast, and you're a competitor yourself, and you do coaching for uh, for competitors, or I guess just individuals struggling with body or um, food, I guess mindset issues. Mm-hmm. Is that is that correct? Exactly. Yes. That's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of cool things. Um, it's, I'm excited to talk with you about, um, a lot of that today, but I would first kind of like to start maybe at the beginning and just talk about how you got into competing in the first place, how you found out about it. Yeah. Um, so it's 2015, um, November, 2015, I did my very first show. I started prep for that like 16 weeks prior as most first time competitors do. They just jump into a prep. Um, I had been lifting for, or since my junior year of high school. So I was 18 at my first show. So maybe like only two years before doing my first competition. And I was a personal trainer at the time. And I was inspired to do a competition for a number of different reasons. I think it had kind of just been on the radar after, you know, perusing bodybuilding.com. You can't help but see competitors. And then you go on Instagram and at the time, 2015, you know, Instagram fitness world was kind of blowing up. That was when you had, um, well, I guess it was more like 2013 when you had like the shreds and you had Paige Hathaway and everybody with that. And then my network started branching out more and more as I got interested in fitness. 2015 came around and I knew I really wanted to do a show. And I thought at the time, I thought, oh, it'll help me with my business and I can promote myself even more. But also I wanted to see what I was capable of because I would see these women doing this and I thought, wow, like I want to know what, what I've built. I want to know what's underneath, you know, the normal body, I guess you could say, um, or the athletic body and reveal like this fitness body. So I hired my first coach. I went um, and did that prep and at the time I was really, really struggling, Laura, like had a negative relationship with food and my body for as long as, um, actually any time before really. And I had started my fitness journey with that negativity and competing became like a crutch for me that I could use and say, well, I'm not eating that because of prep or I'm not doing this because of prep. So it became my crutch. Whereas before I had no excuse for, not eating certain things or binging on the weekends, but then competing became like an excuse for that. Now, of course, in my first competition prep, I didn't have any refeeds. I didn't have any binge sessions. I didn't have any cheats. Like I was 110% and um, I've always been that way, but 
at the time, because I had such a negative mindset, I think it actually hurt me for the long run. So after that show, I had, you know, the really bad rebound. I had barely any appetite, didn't want to eat any food because I got, I got really sick of the food I was eating. Um, I didn't want to work out as much. I had been working out really, really hard. I just didn't have it. And I think it's because when I started, it wasn't because of a deeper reason. It was because of, well, what, what can I do? And can I get more business from this? You know what I mean? Like it wasn't a very deep why. And I was already unhealthy mentally going into it, that coming out of it. Of course, I was even more unmentally well. I didn't know the red flags of competing at the time. I wasn't immersed in the psychology world yet or personal development world. Um, so I didn't know what to do. And I said, I'm never competing again. I became a jaded bikini competitor. I was like, competing. No. <laughs> I was that girl. Oh, one yeah. Of those. <laughs> yeah. I was one of those. I was like competing ruins people. It's like disordered eating. And then I was like, holy crap, take responsibility for yourself. Celeste. like you were like this before competing, competing just became your crutch. You know, like I said earlier, so I ended up taking responsibility for it and saying, what do I need to do? And I said, I'm not, I'm not going to compete. I'm going to heal my relationship with food and my body. And at the time I didn't think it was possible to do that and compete, but I knew I wanted to come back and prove that you could do that. I just didn't know how yet. Um, I immersed myself into going an online fitness coaching business at the time. Um, then I, I involved hiring different mentors, one of which was personal development mentor, mindset coach. Um, that was a really great experience for me. And I learned a lot and kind of revealed to me so much of what I had been struggling with um, and what I, and not even like from the body and food side, cause I had already realized that, but I mean, from other layers, like what was I not taking responsibility for? What was I not? focused on in my life on a mental aspect. Um, and throughout my time as an online fitness coach, my mission was always to help people build more than just a body, but it wasn't until 2018 when I had re-immersed into competing, got back into it, um, did a string of shows, had a healthy relationship with food. Cause I did a lot of healing work for myself and, and on my own and trying to figure it all out that I realized that build more than just a body was a mission that bodybuilders needed. And that was after I started my podcast. And then that's when I got into my, my business of helping competitors with their relationship with food, their body and their goals. So hopefully that kind of puts at least the beginning and, and a summary, but yeah, that's how I got into it and where I am now. Yeah. That's a, that's a great synopsis. So thank you for sharing all that. Mm -hmm. If you had to maybe go back to that time. So you said, you know, you competed and you felt like you became this jaded bikini, bikini competitor, bikini girl, and, and realized you needed to make some changes. So it sounds, you know, when you say it like that, it sounds so simple, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I just realized <laughs> I needed to do something different. And, and you touched on hiring a coach, but what did, when you're going through that process, and I think part of why so many, so many people love listening to your podcast, Celeste, and you've got this amazing fitness coaching business, there's, you're right. There are so many people in bodybuilding that need that messaging or maybe need that help with loving their bodies, having a healthy relationship with food. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so how did you actually go about doing that work? And like, what was it just, if you can go back to that time, like, what was that like? Like, what did it feel like? What did it look like to be doing the work mm -hmm. of trying to almost like heal, heal your inner self? Yeah, that was, um, it was tough and healing 
especially through something like disordered eating or negative relationship with food or your body isn't always pretty. And it definitely wasn't for me. Like at the very beginning of it, I was in it alone. I didn't have anyone helping me or guiding me. I didn't know what to do, but I just said, okay, if you love your body and you know that your body loves you back, then you need to do what is best for her and for yourself. So to me, the mission became like self-love. Like that was, I was like, okay, I just need to love myself because if I look at all the things that are causing me problems, the the root of it is because I didn't have self-love. I didn't, I, I started fitness, you know, hating my body, wishing I could change it. Yes. There was wanting to be a better volleyball player, wanting to be even better athlete, whatever. But like a lot of it was lack of confidence, lack of self-love, lack of acceptance. And I said, let's start there. So I was doing a lot of journaling, a lot of body image work that I was just honestly coming up with on the fly where I'd be like, okay, I'll just lock eyes with myself in the mirror and speak positively. And a lot of this stuff I now give my clients and they love it. Um, but lock eyes with myself in the mirror. I'm going to meditate with my body. I'm going to pay attention to how my body feels. Um, and I actually did start intuitively eating, you could say, which it's difficult looking back. You know, you can't really intuitively eat when you've never listened to your body before. Um, but I threw myself into that and that was, um, a good change for me because I had tried to control everything through food prior to that. So to be like, okay, I'm just going to do what feels best was a bit of a relief, honestly. Um, but I always, I still ate like a bodybuilder, I would say, but it was just a little different. Um, I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of meditation. I did a lot of, um, things that I had done previously in therapy, like just focusing on the things that I like to do. I, I guess you could say that I was having this identity shift. I had to really accept that I wasn't going to be this competitor and I wasn't going to be, um, this, this, just this fitness girl. I wanted to be more than that. So really channeling my identity into what mattered to me and what was, what was it that I liked doing? I didn't really like giving people fitness coaching or nutrition plans really for the reasons that I struggled with them myself. And that's when I knew I didn't want to be a fitness coach anymore either. Um, or at least not without incorporating self-love and mindset. So my personal development journey included a lot, a lot of digging into old belief patterns, negative beliefs, negative behavior patterns in my life. Um, And it's hard to shine light on those dark things because why would anyone want to, especially if you think your life is okay or it's not too, too bad. The cost of staying there is much greater, but sometimes it feels like it's easier or better to stay there than it is to heal it um, because you're so used to it and maybe it's brought good things into your life. So I had to also identify what was the disordered behavior doing for me? How was it serving me? So then I could find other ways to serve myself like that. So if it was giving me control or if it was giving me a sense of validation, if it was giving me a sense of belonging, where could I get that somewhere else or how else might I give that to myself? Um, So it was a lot of processing, unlearning, relearning. And then 
it was deciding like, why did I blame competing? And, and that was that responsibility piece and taking responsibility, I think takes a lot of courage for someone to say like, I need help. I need to do something differently, or I need to change, or I need to recognize what I did poorly. So, um, I vulnerably took responsibility and I knew I still loved competing like that. I still loved the idea of it. I still loved the process so much and I craved it. I missed it a lot. Um, so once I had come to terms with a lot of those inner demons, I was like, okay, I want to compete again, but I want to show that you can do it with a healthy relationship with food and with your body. So I did started in 2017 again, went through it. And I realized like, okay, I'm good. I had a successful reverse. Then I did a string of shows and I started struggling again, but I was able to get on top of it. And at the time I was studying psychology and, um, I started applying a lot of those techniques or principles that I was learning about to my life. And I launched a program like a post-show personal development program, which I still have to this day. And I offered it to competitors and I got like two signups and I was like, wow, that's it. Like, this is my business now. Like I'm, I don't even care. (laughs) Yeah. It was really cool. And I had like, keep in mind, like I was not promoting to competitors at all. Like I didn't start promoting to competitors until I launched my podcast and I launched my podcast on passion alone, not to make money, not to have a business, not, it was passion. I wanted to learn from pros and I wanted other people to learn from pros too, and see that they go through things or I wanted to at least know, do they go through things? Yeah. (laughs) Are they human or are they robots? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, to make a long story shorter, I guess that. I I launched that program. And then I realized there was definitely a need. I said, I'm definitely not doing, um, general population mindset worker, personal development or self-love anymore. I want to just specifically do competitors and immerse myself into that. I had so many phone calls with competitors, like trying to understand if they felt the same way, what, what were their needs? What could they benefit from what was lacking, um, in the industry that they saw was needed to help them with their mindset. And it turns out I was more than capable and prepared to fill that void. And I'm so blessed with the people who trust me now to do that. Um, So it was a long and painful healing journey. Um, But now I look back and I'm so grateful that I went through that. And I'm so grateful now that I can give people more tools because I've learned and continued to immerse myself in education. But like, I'm really grateful because it's worth it because now I see longevity in this sport. I see myself with personal responsibility. I see myself in such a positive way and food in such a positive way. Like there's so much less pressure that I'm having a more fulfilling journey. Oh, that's, that's amazing to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Wonderful. And I, I relate to you, girl. I think when we talked about it a little bit, I would say on your podcast, I feel like I too have had, you know, a healing journey or a journey where I realized I need needed to do some significant work on my inner self and it's pretty amazing. You're so, you're so young. Like you're, I'm just so, so floored by you. And it's, it's incredible that at such a young age, you were so self-aware to seek out help, to do the sometimes painful work that's required to heal our inner traumas or just, or issues or things that we're working through. Right. So it's, it's really incredible. I would, I would love to hear maybe a little bit about um, what was in, you know, kind of what kind of topics or things were you advising people on in your post-show guide? That's such a, such a cool idea. Or just maybe what are, what are some of the red flags or negative habits or mindsets competitors might have? I, at times, 
I working, even working with athletes myself, I feel like it can be easy to not even be aware that we're developing these negative patterns or these Mm -hmm. negative mindsets about things like food in our body. So what are some things that, um, you know, maybe you would look out for some, maybe some red flags that there, there might need to be some, some self-reflection done. And then what are some tips and things that you would give to competitors in in like that post-show guide or in your, in your coaching? Definitely. So some of the red flags to look out for, well, the, the main one that always comes to mind for me is the all or nothing mentality. It's important that we give our all to the things that matter to us and that we want to succeed in. But if, if we have all or nothing, then that means if we not, if we don't have all, we have nothing. And research shows us that the all or nothing mentality leaves us with nothing. Like this is not something that I'm just pulling out of my ass. Like this is literally, this is something that it's a cognitive distortion. So living with a cognitive distortion like this will then start to show up in other areas of your life if it hasn't already. And I assume for a lot of people listening, if they're an all or nothing person in competing, they're probably an all or nothing person everywhere else. I at least know that I used to identify myself this way. I choose not to anymore because I know how it it wasn't serving me. So if you find yourself going into these patterns of, if I don't eat perfectly on my plan, then screw it. I'm going to go and eat everything else. That's a red flag. Um, If I don't do my cardio and burn exactly this many calories and, and I have no more time, then I'm a failure because it has to all be done in one and I can't come back later. And I don't want to ask my coach about it because I'm concerned with their, that's a red flag. Um, I think it's also a red flag. If you're constantly judging yourself for what you eat, I, I do believe there's foods that are best for your body and best for your goals, of course, but you have to figure out what those foods are and to judge yourself for, let's say not eating the five foods that some other person promotes as the greatest five foods for competing. Well, that's a red flag. Um, it's really important that if you're obsessing over weight or your body size, that you get ahead of this. So if you find yourself fixated on the scale over celebrating losses, um, not giving weight gain the same amount of attention or respect, you're going to create this reinforcement that dropping or getting smaller is better than gaining. So in your prep, if you do a 20 week prep and every week for 20 weeks, you celebrate drops. The moment you have a gain after your show, it is going to feel so terrible mentally because you've been positively reinforcing losses for so long. This isn't because it's terrible to gain the weight. It's because you've positively reinforced it. And female bodybuilders are at risk for greater body dissatisfaction and unhealthy eating practices because of low body fat. And then, you know, if, if they're in a division that maybe, um, they're trying to gain more weight or, or meet a weight standard, maybe they're comparing themselves even more, they're going to have more difficult time, which is all of us, because we're trying to go after a physique and that physique fixation can be difficult then post-show. And I'm taking this from research again, like this is not just me talking out of my butt. And I think anybody Mm -hmm. can relate to this. The other thing too, is like, if you have this uncontrollable desire or urge to eat, or you're using purging methods, such as 
I'm going to do excess cardio, or I'm just going to restrict my food tomorrow. I'm going to use laxatives. I'm going to throw up. That is a huge red flag. Um, and I don't think you have to quit competing. If you're experiencing any of these red flags, I think you can still be a successful competitor, but not unless you address this and the strongest predictor or one of the strongest predictors for disordered eating in elite athletes, especially of aesthetic sports is body image dissatisfaction. And even though bodybuilders might share, and I think this is important to recognize, even though bodybuilders might share eating behaviors that other people could qualify as disordered. I personally don't always, because as a mental health professional, you know, that in order for something to be a disorder, it has to really be wreaking havoc on someone's life or meeting like a certain set of criteria. And a lot of times bodybuilders might meet criteria, but it's not negatively impacting them because the intention is, I think what matters. So I did want to just point that out. Like if you're hearing this and you're thinking like, oh, well, I follow my meal plan to a T and I go to the gym every day. And so-and-so told me that's an eating disorder. Well, that's probably not necessarily true. Like you are an athlete, you're an elite athlete, but if you're doing those things and experiencing those red flags, like body fixation or purging methods or binging or um, constant judgment on yourself. Now we, we probably do have some disordered thinking. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Got it. So I'd look out for those things. And then as far as like the work that I do or provide my my most popular program is my food relationship program, which is a one-on-one five-week intensive program where we dig straight into your relationship with food and we do cover body image and they get access to a whole client portal with all sorts of bonuses and other resources that I'll direct them to. Um, but it's all about what they're specifically experiencing. And then we go through a series, a, a series of mindfulness-based eating practices that I've developed Um, specifically for competitors, athletes, or people who are on a fitness journey and don't want to give up their fitness journey in order to make peace with food in their body. Cause I think that's the message that's usually promoted by, um, anti-diet culture or other mental health professionals. They say, well, you have to quit competing if you want to heal when really I, again, I don't think that's true. I think it's about intention and how you go about it. Some of the things that I cover in the post-show program include body image intentions, expectations, because this is a post-show program. We're really reevaluating. What are your goals now? What are your needs now? How can we foster self-love and overcome limiting beliefs while you're on your journey through post-show? Cause it can be really difficult at that time. This is when we're understanding your relationship with food just a little bit. It's not as intensive in this program, but you will start to explore it. Um, we identify what stage of change they're in, um, how they can improve their well-being, and create balance. Um, and balance as an athlete, not balance as everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> balance as an average human. Yeah, exactly. And um, grieve the prep phase and provide forgiveness for anything that's happened post-show. Um, those are just some of the things that get covered. It's not my more popular program anymore because now that now that I have the food relationship program, people are like, that's what they need most help with. So, um, yeah, those are some of the things that I cover though. Excellent. That's, that's, um, such an amazing collection of programming. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm almost like, Oh, should I just like jump into one of those? That That'd sounds, be awesome. it sounds really cool. It sounds really cool. Um, I think, I think, uh, I got lucky with a lot of this stuff. My dad is a food scientist and I feel like I wow. grew up with an attitude towards food. That's very 
pragmatic, I guess, or very science-based. Like mm-hmm. the food, the food is the fuel. There's a certain amount of carbs, fat, protein, things like sugar, you know, micronutrients in our food. And um, so I'm very, I'm kind of very grateful for that because I look back and I'm like, I was really set up in a way where I didn't have some of these hangups about, about food and food in my body. Um, and I feel like it's allowed me to stay mentally tough competing all these years. One thing I'd be curious too, I don't know if you know, this is, um, is that if there's any data on people with eating disorders that compete, because I feel like this sport also, to some extent predisposes people to maybe trigger some of these past behaviors of disordered eating or things like that. Unfortunately, there's not a ton of research on bodybuilders. I guess people aren't as interested as in it as you and me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we'll hopefully change that. Um, I will share some of the research that I know about. Um, some There was a study done in 2010. There was also a study done in 2009. So we're looking, you know, way back in the day. Um, and then in those in those two studies, one of them specifically pointed out that disordered eating behaviors that are not otherwise specified or anorexia and bulimia can be influenced by the environment of a weight category or aesthetic perceptions and criteria. So to put that into competitor terms, you could fall into, or your eating disorder could probably become worsened, or maybe you could be predisposed to it by fixating so much on your body or because there's criteria you have to meet that you may not meet. Um, so you might go to extreme measures such as disordered eating behaviors to meet those criteria. So yes, it's definitely can be influenced by that environment. Um, and then the other one I kind of shared earlier with the 2009 study was like, just saying how competitors, because they have a greater desire to change their body. Um, and are willing to do so at the expense of their health, and we go to extremes, um, we're likely, of course, then to have more food focus and uncontrollable urges to eat. And then those types of things perpetuated in those extremes can then lead to other extremes, which then could qualify as disorder. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. It's, it would be interesting to know, but um, yeah, you're right. I don't think there's as many, as many studies on bodybuilders, I mean, I, I kind of look at it as like competing along with a number of other things or people who credit, you know, vegetarian, vegetarianism, veganism, as well as just like methods for people to justify maybe the control or extreme focus on their food choices. Yep. It's justification for sure. So maybe it sounds like maybe you experienced that, um, that yourself. So So how long, um, I kind of want to go back to your competing history a little bit, Celeste, Mm -hmm. how long did you actually take a break from the stage? Like 2015, focusing on your business, focusing on yourself. When did you, when did you get back on stage and what was that journey just like physically and mentally like at that point? Um, so I stepped off stage November, 2015, and I stepped back on stage August, 2017. So uh, so like a year and a half. And then I guess you could include the, the prep in there. So yeah, maybe like, uh, a, a year, a little over a year. Um, it felt like a lot longer. Oh my God. Did it feel like a lot longer? Um, that journey back was interesting because I started working with the coach that I have now. Um, and 
he kind of knew about my past, but not everything that I had just worked through. That was like almost a redo of my first prep, but with better intentions. So the intention there was so much deeper to like foster and maintain love for myself and, and to have that positive relationship with my body and focusing on foods and how they're benefiting me and how they nourish my body. Not so much like I have to eat this because I'm on prep and I'm in autopilot mode. Oh, that's another red flag going on autopilot mode. Just want to point that out. Um, yeah. So I, I made sure like I wasn't on autopilot mode through that prep, meaning I wasn't just going through the motions of eating and not paying attention to all the amazing benefits that these foods that we get to fuel our bodies with as bodybuilders, um, were providing my body. And then after that show, you know, I was really, really determined to have a positive reverse experience and I did it alone, not because my coach wouldn't, um, but because I wanted to, and <laughs> I didn't do it necessarily the right way. I definitely like followed my plan in reverse for a bit. And then I started, um, and I say that's not the right way because obviously you as a coach know that's definitely not the right way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I followed my plan in reverse for a bit. And that was like, honestly, I needed that mentally to prove to myself that I could just have a positive experience. But then again, like there was a lot of need for control there. And then I was learning how to reincorporate foods into my body, reincorporate like some freedom. And that's when I started to implement something called exposure therapy without even realizing I was doing it. Um, I was just having like, okay, I'm going to have five chocolate chips a day. Cause I would always want to like binge on chocolate. So I was like, if I just have five of them a day, that's better than having 30 to 40 of them, um, without even thinking and then feeling like crap after and not even enjoying them. So I enjoyed like five chocolate chips a day, started to normalize that and then applied that to other foods. Um, I learned new recipes and things that I would enjoy while still achieving my goals. So I was able to prove to myself that like there, there was not a certain particular bodybuilder food. And I was able to prove to myself that it's okay to have a different journey after show than what other people have. After that show, I did bring treats to the, to the show, which I, looking back, you know, I've learned since then. And then, um, had a very short little reverse, got back on stage in 2018 in February. So it was very short reverse, started prep again in like November, got ready by February, had the most amazing run of shows. It was such a great experience. And then after that, I was like, oh no, I think I did go on autopilot a little bit there. I was a little more aware of it though, mentally, physically, it felt great though. I loved being in prep. I loved going after my goals and seeing the changes and, and feeling them too. And knowing like, wow, I'm not judging myself so much or wow, I'm not like so fixated on the scale. Um, but because it did still come up a bit, this was my first time coming back to competing now and being aware of the, where these things and red flags started popping up. I was like, oh shoot, like now I have to actually mm -hmm. actively like address it. Um, so it was still hard post-show 2018. I was like, really like, oh my God, I'm struggling again. This is really difficult for me, but it was again, just better. So it was hard to immerse myself back into competing because it was like an unknown and it was a new approach. And now with where I'm at, like I've got nine shows under my belt. I have goals of competing this year. I'm in prep now. And it's just a different mentality. I'm, I have no pressure. I'm not attached to a timeline. Um, I'm doing this in the way that's best for me. I'm communicating those needs with my coach and he's communicating back with me. Um, 
the, I'm not fixated on the scale. I'm not fixated on my body. And these thoughts still come up, of course, but I can better address them. They don't run my life. Um, I have more flexibility with the food choices I make and I'm at peace with those things because I don't do what I think I should do to be the best in others' eyes. I'm doing what's actually best for me and my longevity um, and accepting that for myself. So it's, I think it's been great coming back and coming back at that point was scary because it's like, well, what if I fail? And what if I don't prove to myself that I healed? And what if it's like healing is ongoing. And, um, I was prepared to, to do that work throughout the process of prep. And, um, so again, I'm just so glad I didn't give up on competing because competing is just such a positive environment and sport. I I just, am so glad. I'm glad for you too. I, I love competing. And I always think that anybody who who can do it or has an interest in it should definitely try it because it's such a, such a challenging, cool experience. Uh, even if you only do it once. So, so let me ask you this, Celeste, um, you said you were kind of had a longer, longer season in, in 2018. How long were you actually prepping for? Cause that's, that's one thing I feel like I noticed too, is, um, for myself or for others is the longer, like our prep season is the harder or trickier it can be at the end of all of that to then stick to a reverse because we're physically drained we're mentally drained was that something you're experiencing or I guess how how long was that prep season for you when you finally got back at it (laughs) that prep was over a year like I well was it yeah it, it was around that it was around like um was it hold on let me go back in time it felt like it was around a year. Cause even that reverse diet was so short. So I guess you could say it was like eight months. Cause I did February to March, April, May, June, July, August, seven months total of prep. Oh no. Hold on. Seven, eight, nine, like 10 months total of prep. Um, and at that time I wasn't getting refeeds, you guys, like I wasn't getting many free meals. Um, I had a little mini break. Like we did a bit of a diet break or a little reversing um, from February to July before I stepped on stage in the summer again and then the fall. So I did have a little mini reverse, but we treated it still like prep. So it was very regimented. Like we had the show in mind. It was just, we're going to raise calories and drop cardio for a bit. So that I would say I agree with you and that the longer the prep, sometimes the harder it can be post-show because you're just ready for that break. But I had a really long prep from 2020 because of obvious reasons. Um, With all the cancellations, it was just never ending. And that was a long prep. But uh, I don't know, like, even though it was a long prep, I didn't struggle that much this post-show experience or really at all because I knew and I had set such strong standards and intentions for myself post-show that I was prepared and I continued to reinforce them. And I like have this thing on my wall with very, um, with, with commitment statements that can be applied to prep or improvement season. So I have standards for prep. I have standards for improvement season, and then I have standards for life and it's the standards for life. The things that can apply in both phases. That's what keeps me having a smooth transition because I know that no matter what, I'm worthy of the results I have and the results I desire, whether that's prepping um, for a show or that's gaining for the next show. And I choose to associate with beliefs and plans that serve me and, and so on and so forth. So I have things that keep me sustained throughout. So even if it's a longer prep, I find those standards and intentions are what keep me like having smoother transitions. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's, thank you. that's probably so, so helpful. I think 
it's easy as a competitor bodybuilder to just be so, so hypercritical, right? Because to some extent to improve, we've got to be self-critical and we've got to be objective, right? With what our weaknesses are, what our strengths are, what our areas of opportunity and improving are, but it can pretty easily go down, you know, just that, that negative path where it becomes this like hyper fixation and just judging ourselves for every little thing, every little imperfection. So that's amazing that you're using these, I don't know if they're almost like affirmations or just these standards for yourself to, to just really stay healthy. Um, and knowing that you're worthy of the goals that you're seeking, that's, that's pretty incredible. I think, I think there are a lot of people, not just competitors that could benefit from that type of, um, either affirmation or just really embracing, um, these positive statements about ourselves. Yeah, I agree. And I think being aware of the behaviors you've fallen into, into your prep that can no longer sustain or serve you in your improvement season is so important too. like volume eating or, um, like trying to make anything fit into your macros or only having X, Y, Z foods or not seasoning certain foods in a certain way. Like all those types of behaviors aren't necessary for lifestyle, you know? Mm -hmm. So paying attention to behaviors that you don't want to carry with you into improvement season and then, um, supporting that with those standards is I think really, um, key. Absolutely. So, um, so for those that don't know what, what is that volume meeting? Oh yes. Well, volume meeting is like, you're trying to get the most amount of food in your body for the least amount of calories. And a lot of times people will use this in a deficit or a dieting phase where they'll make these huge salads or they'll buy these like low, everything's low fat, low carb, low blah, blah, blah. Everything's like modified to be lower in whatever they're avoiding. Mm -hmm. Um, so that they can have more of it. Um, so the, the reason a lot of people do this is because then they feel more satiated and they're not then, of course, if you're more satiated, you're not as fixated on food, you have less urge to binge. It's a protective factor, et cetera. Um, and that volume eating can cause a lot of bloating or issues of that nature, but people do it anyways, because then mentally they're more satisfied or they feel like, oh, I ate for like 10 minutes instead of two minutes, but um, it's not necessarily beneficial in the long run, as you know, as a coach, I'm sure you could speak to that yourself. Yeah. And I've, um, I think I learned that lesson the hard way. My, uh, my second year competing in 2017, I did, that was my first time doing more than one show in a row. And I definitely got in that habit and and partially too, you see people on social media do it, right? Like, Oh, Mm -hmm. they're using all this shredded lettuce and they're fuller. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. That doesn't, doesn't being less hungry sound amazing. And I got to the point that year in prep where I was eating all of these uh, pieces of celery and cucumbers. And it just got to the point, my food was so low where I was so bloated and uncomfortable and I knew exactly what it was from. This is, you know, this is all the roughage. This is all the veggies that you're eating, Laura. You need to cut this out because your body is just wrecked from it. So I learned that the hard way. I think this year, at one point I was using a little bit of shredded lettuce in my meals. I wouldn't really call it volume eating, but just for some interest. Yep. And then I kind of kept that habit into, into my off season improvement season. And at that point my food was higher. So I just would do it and feel so uncomfortably full. And so I realized, okay, this is, this habit's got to drop right now. If I want to 
eat a salad with my meal, I'll eat a salad, but I don't need to be adding extra, extra volume or extra things. Cause at this point I'm eating enough. Exactly. And like, no matter what our brain is wired to fixate on what's lacking. So if you have a restriction of food, you'll fixate on food. If you have a restriction of money, you'll fixate on money. If you can't, if you don't have enough money to afford, let's say, um, toilet paper, you're going to like, you're going to want, or if there's a pandemic and you can't get toilet paper, everybody goes and get toilet paper. They fixate on it. Right. Tell a toddler they can't eat candy in the candy challenge. What do they do? They eat the candy. So anytime there's a restriction, you know, we're going to be fixated on it. So when you became aware of it after the show, like, Oh, my body and brain know this is no longer a need. I'm uncomfortable. I can relax and not have as much volume. That's cool. And I think, um, in prep, especially for the people who follow macros, like I would say, try to keep the full fat or full carb or full, whatever options, like the actual normal, like cheese, for example, um, keep it in your plan for as long as you can, because I genuinely think that's so much better. And you'll find it's more satiating because if you get into the mentality of, well, this is the food I should have because the, it has the most volume for macros. That's not a healthy way of thinking about food. Like we could be focused on nutrient properties. We could focus on the benefits, how we feel, um, the ways food serves us outside of fuel as well. Like, Oh, this cheese like takes me to Italy for a day or whatever. Um, and, and how, how satiated are we? We can tap into our hunger and fullness cues, which are, it's harder to tap into in prep or I should just say as a bodybuilder in general, because usually you're under eating or you're, um, going into a surplus. So yeah, I would say if you can utilize these as opportunities, it's easier when you actually have like normal foods in your diet and you're focusing mindfully on that. Um, it's going to be beneficial for you in the long run. Cause those those thought patterns can be sustained, whether it's prep or improvement season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're, I agree with you hundred percent. So too, keeping some of those like full, you know, full carb, full fat foods in, in your plans, as long as you can. It's so it's, it's not only, I think beneficial, just like mentally and you're right. I mean, they, they've done studies. If you, you know, if you eat a meal, that's got protein, it's got carbohydrates and fat, that's the most satiating combination of of foods or macronutrients, right. Just for like fullness mm-hmm. satisfaction. And even outside of that, I think one thing that happens a lot, um, and some of, some of this is maybe driven by coaches. Some of it might be on the athlete, but a lot of times people are keeping or women, um, maybe men too are keeping their fats very low post-show. And, mm-hmm. and that can actually be kind of damaging. Like if you're, if you're eating super, super low fat in your prep, and then you never really bring that up, that's where a lot of these hormonal imbalances can come into play and, and also just, yeah, lack of satiety. There's other, other, um, health risks and things that can happen, but we, we put our bodies through a lot as women getting so, so lean. And if we're not consuming like any dietary fat or we finish our show and everything we're consuming is super low fat or fat, you know, macros are still only at like 30 to 40 grams or something, you're not really giving your body a chance to fully bounce back physically. That's great insight. Yeah. Like why wouldn't you want to give your body a chance and, and capitalize and optimize that throughout the whole process, which is why having a responsible coach like yourself who knows these things is important. Oh, thank you, girl. You're welcome. Yeah, it, just, it, it just seems, I mean, it's, it's, you know, just a matter of maybe like who I'm, who I'm talking to and who, who I'm around, but I definitely see pretty, a pretty prevalent trend of competitors and just, 
bikini competitors, I guess, mostly post-show keeping their fats really, really low and something like that. It's like, no, it's, it's okay to eat. It's okay to have this stuff. All three macronutrients provide our body with benefits. You know, it shouldn't just be eating protein and a tiny bit of carbs and almost no fat 24 seven. And I think sometimes people want to perpetuate that, or they want to continue that way of eating because they associate it with how it got them lean for the show. And so they think, okay, this is, this is the end all be all. This is how I should always eat. And that's not really the case. Exactly. People, we do tend to fall into those habits because it's been reinforced. Like I have girls who come to me and they've only ever gotten results following a really strict, strict plan. And they want to have more normalcy. They want to be able to trust themselves around all foods. Um, And the idea of even doing, uh, even incorporating another type of food that wouldn't normally be on their plan is so scary. I'm talking even a banana, you know, because well, that didn't get me it's where carbs, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar, it's got sugar in it. Yeah. I'm short. I don't have enough macros <laughs> for that. I'm hold on, you know, like eat the banana, see how you feel. Wow. I ate it. It was so yummy. So satisfying. I killed my workout. Yeah. Well, the banana is beneficial food for you to have incorporate in your, you know, it's like until we expose ourselves to it. And I, I like to use this example. Like if nine times out of 10 that you try something, you fail at it. The, the 10th time you go for it, you're probably assuming you're going to fail. Like, so if nine times out of 10, you've binged on Oreo cookies, the 10th time you're thinking you're probably going to binge. So we have to slowly prove one time out of 10, two times out of 10, three times out of 10, that that's not your story. Um, whether that's incorporating new foods or it's taking a new approach in bodybuilding, you have to now form a new association. This doesn't happen overnight. Um, we have to reinforce it consistently. Like, a bike going down a dirt path. Like we want that groove to be really, really deep. Um, so that anytime water comes, it goes down that path. Um, Mm -hmm. in other words, like we want that neural pathway to be strong and it's, it's going to be rocky. It's going to be shaky. It's not going to be firm until we've reinforced it over and over again. So there's also reinforcements that lift it live in our mind that are not healthy yet. They're very, very strong. And if we're willing to change them, they will weaken over time. Doesn't mean they'll necessarily just disappear, um, but we can have at least new neural pathways that we choose to go down that are more beneficial. Yeah. Oh, that's such that's such a great um, point, Celeste. And I think uh, this is a this is a topic a lot of competitors may not be aware of, but those may be immersed in the psychology or self help world too. Is I think what you're describing is kind of neuroplasticity mm-hmm. and the the idea that whatever type of thought patterns or thoughts that you're used to having, your brain will continue to propagate those, those thoughts and those um, patterns because it's used to those pathways, but with intentionality and, you know, (laughs) I think consistent effort over time, we can actually change, change the way we think. And um, there's a, there's a really cool book. um, I don't know if you, maybe you've read it called rewire your brain. No, I I don't know about it. It's, it's completely all about that. Just how essentially our brain, it has these preferential pathways. And if you're constantly, you know, on a very simplistic level, if you're a really negative person and you're always thinking negatively, your brain is programmed. It's literally programmed to keep propagating those thoughts, to keep propagating those pathways. So we can change our thoughts and our beliefs, but it does take a lot of intentional work to do because right when we get up in the morning, 
our brain is, it's programmed already to be like, oh, what's wrong today? What's wrong in this minute? You know, yeah. what am I lacking today? And in shifting that mindset and making those changes, it's absolutely possible because, because that plasticity means essentially like flexibility, right? Our brain has flexibility, but we've got to teach it that. Yes. And I think that's exactly what you're describing. It is. Yeah. That's exactly what I was. That's exactly it. And if, if someone's like wondering, well, how do I start to change that? Um, I first identify where the patterns are. So like if the first thing you do in the morning is you feel negative and then you realize like, oh, it's because the night before, like I was watching reality TV and scrolling on social media um, or I was watching the news or whatever. It's like, well, maybe if I change that pattern first, see if I start thinking differently and then I'll incorporate a new pattern in the morning. Like first thing I do in the morning is jump up and I play the best song in the world. Or first thing I do in the morning is I stand and I look at the sun, like change the pattern. Um, and then throughout your day, as you notice it coming up using something like a pattern interrupter, um, whether that's like quickly doing 10 jumping jacks or rubbing your head and patting your stomach, those are the things that you can do to interrupt the pattern. It keeps you from thinking about whatever was just happening and then provides the opportunity to form a new one. So maybe after you've pat your head and rub your stomach for like five times, then you might say, okay, um, I just had this negative thought about my body. Uh, now I'm going to do this. Or if you always look at your stomach in the mirror, maybe we start tucking your shirt in and you walk around with a shirt tucked in all the time. So anytime you go by a mirror and you lift up your shirt to do an ab check, because you've done that your whole prep. Now there's no longer, <laughs> you know, a stomach to see because your shirt's tucked in. Now we have two layers to go through, not one that interrupts the pattern. So these things can change. It definitely takes commitment. Um, this is also, you know, why I think it's important to work with someone, whether or not it's me, I don't really care. I mean, I want to work with people who want to do this work, obviously. Um, but I understand I may not be the best fit for everybody. I think I'm the best fit for competitors hundred percent. Um, but I will say like working with someone who can help you to find those patterns and then change them is, is really important. Absolutely. And we'll, I'll make sure to, uh, to include all your links and in social Thank media you. and everything Celeste in the episode description. So people, people, if they don't know you already, um, you know, if they don't know your podcast and all that, they can find you. So, um, I make sure to include that. all that. Of course, of course. So what, um, what would you say are things that you're looking forward to in 2022 today we're recording it's January 5th. So kind of right after the new year, what are, what are some of your plans in the future Celeste, whether it's your business competing personal goals, what's next for you? Well, I want to apologize what I'm looking forward to in the new year day. Well, I really um, want to speak and contribute on a lot of events, seminars, masterminds, retreats. I've got a few lined up already, which is awesome. Um, I have the pleasure of speaking at the angel competition, bikinis, fashion show expo. I'll be contributing at a glam girl bikini retreat. Uh, they do prep life prep life podcast. Um, and then I am going to be doing um, a speaking engagement at a retreat in Mexico. So I just want to keep these types of collaborations going. I find it great when we come together to, to share the mission and the message. Um, I want to host another one of my own events, maybe towards the end of the year, which will happen after I finish my master's program. Um, right now I'm in my internship phase, so I'm done with the curriculum, just have to go through this internship. And of course, with that, I want to come out as a more skilled therapist and then decide what am I going to do next? Like, am I going to go for my PhD? Am I going to pursue licensure? Am I going to do neither of those things and just integrate it into my business practice more? Like, I really don't know. Um, I do know that I'm going to finish the program um, and be better because of it. And then I'd like to personally uh, start my next book. 
I had my first one a few years ago and it was an awesome experience. I'd like to write another one with the new knowledge that I have and specifically more so for athletes and competitors. Um, I'm of course excited to compete. Um, my, my goals with competing is to win my class, um, win an overall step on the national stage again, compete for my pro car and, um, see a new, see and experience new places along the way. Um, I'd like to learn more about myself and continue my healing journey. I had a really rough, rough, rough. Isn't the right word. It was devastating last year. It was just devastating. I lost my mom and that was, Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was the hardest thing I ever been through my life and I still need to heal. It was a very traumatic Mm -hmm. experience for me and for my family. So, um, I look forward to healing more from that. Um, yeah. And and like I said, I want to connect and collaborate more with other coaches and contributors, like what we're doing now. Like this is my first Mm -hmm. podcast interview of 2022 and I'm like, so thrilled. All right, girl. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's start the year on a good note. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm looking forward to really. Oh, that's so amazing. Those are, those are some incredible goals. So I'm, I'm super excited for you, Celeste. I think this is, this is going to be your year. Thank you. <laughs> so, thanks. Thanks again so much for joining the podcast. And, and before we wrap up, where can people find you um, online or on social media? You guys can find me on Instagram right now as celestial underscore fit and my website with tons of free resources and blogs and other things of that nature is celestial dot fit. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Celeste. Yeah, uh, we'll include all pleasure. your info in the in the episode description, and um, have a have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bikini Things. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a follow on Instagram at bikini underscore things, and we will catch you in the next episode.